Welcome to the Coast Life Church Podcast. We exist to lead people to the abundant life in Christ. For a great way to stay connected throughout the week, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. What's up, everybody? How we doing today? It feels good in church. Anybody love the presence of God in the room today? It's, it's so good. So good to see you. Hey, before you're seated, let's give a great welcome to everybody joining us online. Everybody that's here for the first time, say welcome, Coast Life family. So glad. So glad you're here. You guys, be seated. Be seated. Today is the end of consecrate week and everybody said amen 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 and I just wanted to take a minute and and say thank you to everybody that participated in consecrate week our church has been praying and fasting this week and if you're inviting people to our Easter services just know we're we're praying and fasting and believing for God to move in a powerful way in the life of your friends and family and everybody that you're bringing in I've never seen the lean in on a on a fast week like we had this weekend. Uh, this week, like so so many people in our church have been participating in this. It's like our students, like teenagers, are, are giving up food and, and and probably more painful for them. They're giving up social media, like and and just tuning everything out because we wanted to consecrate our hearts, get our eyes off of all that stuff and put our eyes on Jesus this week. And so how, whatever you've done, however you've participated, I just want to say thank you because I think sometimes we, we overestimate what we can do by ourselves, but we drastically underestimate what we can do together. And it's so powerful. I think somebody once said we are better together. I, I, I came up with that. You're welcome. I, but to everybody who participated, thank you so much. Our first Easter service is five days away. Five days away. And so here's, we're resourcing you to invite, but here's something you can help us with, and that is register. Uh, we do registration for Easter. We have six services, and it helps us so much. We're going we're gonna to serve everybody that shows up, uh, but it helps us so much to know who's showing up and when they're showing up. And so if you would register your family and those that you're bringing and make it a priority, I would appreciate it so much. And uh, everybody's going to clamor for 1030 on or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. We got Friday night. We got 5 p.m. Saturday night, 7 p.m. Saturday night. Can we just fill up those services so we can make room for more people to experience the resurrected Savior? Amen, everybody. All right. You got your heart open, ready to receive a word from God today. First, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 through 58. And while you're finding that, I just want to let you know, last weekend we kicked off a brand new collection called Victory. And my goodness, what a weekend. Uh, we had Freedom Conference here all weekend, Friday night and Saturday. Just just ridiculous. I mean, like the most, most powerful things I've seen in a long time and if you've never been through freedom and a group and been to conference it's a necessity put it make it a priority 
And then last weekend, we baptized 76 people and saw them take steps in a new life. And yeah, come on, praise God for it. It's amazing. So uh, everybody that was baptized, we love you. We celebrate you. The past has been marked, washed away and a brand new starting point in your life has been established and we're believing the best for you. And today I want to get into week two of our collection, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the, come on, victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Next weekend, we're going to get to abound in the work of the Lord. Six services. I don't even need this portion of scripture to preach my messages. I just wanted to tell you that. Knowing that you're, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I want to preach a message today called Just Call Me Victor. Uh, shout out to everybody whose name is Victor. We, we love you. And I... I wanted to do a, a collection uh, around the season on, on victory. It, it, it is one of those church words, like there are church words that if you just say them, it evokes a response from people. And so I kind of realized victory is an is a easy play. Like if you want a crowd to respond, just say, we got the victory. And everybody's like, we got the victory because we, we love it and we do. Uh, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted to talk about victory because I feel like it's, it's really important for us to understand the victory that Jesus has won. And, and the reason for that, first of all, uh, his cross is our victory. He, he won the victory on the cross. And I think it's important that we talk about victory because we're living in a culture and by the way, I'm going to put a little, put a little warning on this message, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to trample into some, I'm going to wade into some cultural stuff. Are we okay? Like this is, this is uh, challenging for me to preach a little bit. One, it's because I'm preaching to myself. Amen, somebody. All right. But we're, we're living in a culture that increasingly exalts, celebrates, and promotes victimhood. And it's hard to talk about victimhood because usually there's a good reason why somebody has a victimhood mentality. Something really bad has happened. So I never want to make light of some of the horrific things that people walk through. But we are living in a culture where the idea of victimhood is, is being perpetuated. And if you're a part of our church, we, you know, we just did five weeks of teaching which it never in a million years would I thought I've done, but we did five, five weeks of teaching on critical theory. And if you missed it, go to YouTube, check it out. Everybody needs to understand the leaven of critical theory. But critical theory postures people as being on the right side of morality as if they are a victim. So in order to be on the right, victimhood equals morality. And, and you have to find a problem in order to make yourself moral. And there, there are just certain tools, and, and, and you see them in our culture. There, there are certain tools of victimhood that I want to talk about. And, and if we're honest, it's not just culture we're talking about. If we're honest, we'll see ourselves in this a little bit, right? But, but one of the tools of, of victimhood is catastrophizing. And catastrophizing is just simply thinking something is way worse than it actually is. Anybody catastrophize? Like this is, this is the worst day ever until tomorrow. And then tomorrow is the worst day ever. And it's, 
There's all these statements, I'm not going to go into them, but there's all these statements that catastrophize, that just, that just blow things up out of proportion when it's not, it's not reality. Somebody said catastrophizing is, is idealizing the past, polluting the present, and fantasizing the future. And, and what it does is it tries to make today and it, something just horrific. And then there's another slant to it where they don't idealize the past. They look at the past and then from our standpoint today, we judge previous generations on our standards of morality. And I, I just want to say something. I hope I come across with grace. But uh, the past wasn't morally superior to today. And today is not more morally superior to the past. And we, we've advanced materially, but we have not advanced morally. Because our culture aborts way too many unborn babies for us to claim that we have high, moral high ground on previous generations. Like that, and we can't do that. Okay, so we can't look back and say, how could that happen then when we're living in a world where there's something atrocious as that happening today? And, and I say that because what happens is we, we, we make things of the past in the future. Like, man, if, 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 I w- if this didn't happen or if these people didn't do that, then, then the future, a fantastical future. The future is going to be amazing if we, if we do these things, if, if this happens. And I, this isn't going to be super encouraging, but I just want to let you know something. Uh, the future is going to have the same problems that today has. <laughs> I know that's not encouraging, but the same problems. Uh, you can read the Bible that was written sometimes 3,000, 4,000 years ago, and it was the same problems then as it is now. now I'm going to give you some hope in a minute, but we're going to have the same problems in the future, the one that's going to fix all the problems is when Jesus touches on this earth and brings a new key, a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, that's, that's the solution. And which leads to the second tool of victimhood, and it's something called problematizing. And problematizing is, is highlighting and accentuating and, and even, even creating problems if necessary, if necessary in order to advance an agenda. So I, I, have, I have an agenda that I want to advance. So I've got to, I've got to find the problems that support the agenda that I want to advance. And, and, and it plays out. Any, anybody kind of a little bit afraid to post on social media today? Like it's, it's scary because anything you post on social media can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. Like that, that's what will happen. And you don't even have to say anything bad. You just have to say something that someone can, tw- can imply that it was bad. That no longer is it what you meant to say, it's what was implied onto what you said that matters. And that's problematizing. It's like if there's any way that I can twist something to make it fit my narrative and my agenda, then I'll problematize it. And here's what's happening is problematization is the pathway to power in our current society. And if you claim powerlessness and hopelessness, that's how you get your voice heard and it's how you gain influence and power. But what it does is it leads us to victimhood. And and victimhood is the condition of having been hurt, having been damaged, made to suffer in a way, and, and then, but you use it 
to, to gain an identity of, uh, so you can get sympathy, so you can get attention, or so you can use it as an excuse. Like, this is the reason I am what I am. And, and there are two different statements that I believe that, that sum up the difference between what I would posture as a, as a worldly worldview and a kingdom worldview. What, what I believe would be a biblical worldview. And, and the first one is the world. The, the world says, the world is broken and it's the reason I'm broken. Here's, here's the kingdom worldview. The world is broken, but through Christ, I can conquer it. I can overcome it. And listen, I, I want to help you if, 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 if you're prone to problematizing and maybe you're prone to, to leaning into some of the negative and catastrophizing. Maybe you're prone to inflating some of the problems in your life. And I just want to give you some good news today. Your problems don't have to define you. They don't have to become an identity. It doesn't have to become the story of your life because your problems absolutely does not limit what God can do in your life. What anybody has done to you has no, has no bearing on what God can do for you in your life. Come on, I, I believe more than ever, and more than ever, with all of the doom and all of the gloom and all of the worry and all of the despair, I believe the church needs to let victory be our battle cry, that we are overcomers, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And here's the deal, is it takes a lot, takes a lot of humility to find God as your victor. Because in order to find God as my victor, I have to stop seeing myself as the victim. The, the book of Job is, is always an interesting discussion because it's, it's the conversation between Job and a few of his friends over why Job has experienced horrific things. And we talk about uh, Job having, you know, double for his trouble, praise God, and, you know, all of that. But it doesn't replace the fact that he lost his home and his children. I mean, it was, it was horrific. And they're, they're, the whole conversation is trying to find, and this is, this is us, this is me, this is you. The whole conversation is trying to find where do we put the blame. And the friends are great friends. They're trying to put the blame on Job. And Job is trying to make, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. And, and Job is trying to put the blame on God. And they're, they're defending God. And that's how the, the conversation goes until the very end of the book, the conversation shifts when God gets involved. Job 38, 2 and 3, God steps into the conversation. And this is the words from God. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And here's what happens is when we're having these conversations of who's to blame and where, where can I put the blame? And sometimes we want to put the blame on God, but the, the, the conversation changes when we realize that God's not the one that's being examined. We're the ones being examined, that God isn't the one that's on trial. That, that we're the ones that are, are being measured, our lives are being measured. 
And if I never see myself as part of the problem, if I'm always pointing at you as the problem, if I'm always pointing at God as the problem, then I'll never find the solutions that I need because it's only when I realize that I'm the biggest part of my problem that I can find out God is my provider, God is my savior, God is my healer, God is the restorer and redeemer of my life. And And we do so much with blame, but here's the deal. Blaming you for your sin does absolutely nothing for my sin. At some point, I've got to stop blaming God. I've got to stop blaming others. Blaming God will never change my circumstances. It's when I take radical ownership of where my life is right now that I can begin to look up in humility and say, God is my victor. God is my champion. God is my provider. He's going to make a way for me. He's going to turn this circumstance around, but I have to have less of me and more of him. I want to give you three things that I think are important to shift from a a victim mentality to a victor mentality. And number one is this, and again, this is a little bit uncomfortable truth, but number one is this, is life isn't fair or equitable. And the Bible never promises that. It never tells us that. The Bible never tells us that life will be completely fair. The Bible never tells us that life will be completely equitable. And all of the human efforts to try to solve all of that just creates more unfairness and more inequality. And Jesus, in fact, Jesus promised us the opposite of fairness and equality and equitableness. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And I want to, we're called to help others, by the way, and this isn't a message on that, so, but I don't want to miss it. Like when, when, when there is injustice and there is suffering and there is things that are unjust and unfair, we're not called to just go, well, that's the way the world is. Come on, we're the church. We're called to run into those circumstances and help those circumstances. So I want to make sure that we have the right picture, but that's not my focus today. Is it on the things that we're called to do? My focus is on shifting our thinking when life seems unfair because there's a there's a parable that Jesus told that gives us the right mentality to deal with inequity Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 15 Jesus tells this parable he says talking about the kingdom of God he said for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property to one he gave five talents to another two to another one one To each according to his ability, then he went away. And it's called the parable of the talents. Now, when we hear uh, talent, we think of somebody's ability to sing or do, uh, create art or uh, whatever their talent is. That, that de- definitely we understand that everybody gets differing gifts, right? Like everybody has different gifts and not everybody gets the same gifts. But the talent wasn't a, a special ability. The, the talent was a measure of money. It was, it was a, a sum of money, but more than that, it represented an opportunity, an opportunity that had been entrusted to you. And the, and the principle is this, is we're not all given the same opportunity. And I, I remember uh, several years ago, about 13 years ago, I was sitting in the building where your kids are being ministered to now because that was the church building that I'd inherited and I had inherited a church of 12 people. If you've never been to Grow Track, step two is right after this service today. I inherited that we tell the story in step one, actually, week one. But I'd inherited a, ch- a church of 12 people. And, 
It, it was discouraging because I was watching friends who were my age and they were inheriting churches that had hundreds. I saw some friends that had churches of thousands get handed to them. And here I am, I've been given 12 people and I was having a little bit of a pity party and I was getting in, I'm not gonna lie, I was, I was struggling with a poverty mentality and I was struggling with a victim mentality and I was reading my Bible. How many of you know that's a good place to just base your life on? I was reading my Bible and I came across the parable of the talents and it hit me so strong and I told God, you didn't give me a five talent opportunity and you didn't give me a two talent opportunity but you did give me one talent and I'm going to make the most of my one talent and this was my promise this was my promise to God you gave me one building and you gave me 12 people when I meet you face to face I'm going to hand you back thousands of people and I'm going to hand you back multiple buildings because I'm going to make the most of my one opportunity And the world would find that unjust. Like how could one servant get one talent and another one get five? In our culture today, they would rewrite the Bible. Let's give them all two and then just waste the other two on government. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. That's, that's terrible. But that's the way the Bible would be written today. And it, it's, it's inconvenient. But you've got to make the most. Life isn't what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens to you. And the problem is that when we get handed our one talent, instead of being grateful that God gave us something, we start looking at the person that got five talents. Because comparison is the culture of victimhood. It's a disease. I've struggled with comparison all my life. I, I, I have heroes that are pastors and I want to preach like them. I want to, I want to be leaders like them. And then if you're not, you, you get into comparison. And it's a disease that always causes you to compare what you've been given with what others have been given. And the problem is in this life, the Bible never promises that we're all going to start in the same place. And we don't all start in the same place. And watch this. There's no guarantee that if we all started in the same place, we'd end up in the same place. Because it's not what you've been given, it's what you do with what you've been given. And there, but I want to give you some good news. Because we tend to compare ourselves, it's, it's very tempting to do. But I want to tell you, God doesn't compare you to anybody else. He doesn't measure you based on how other people are doing. God doesn't look at your life and measure you based on how somebody else is doing. God is measuring your life looking at where you started from to where you are today. And some of you need to look back and realize God has been really good to you. God has brought you a mighty long way that you're nowhere near where you started from. And you don't need to look to the side. You need to look behind you and see the grace of God and the goodness of God and the favor of God and the blessing of God. God has been good to me. God has poured out his blessing on my life and it gives me an attitude of gratitude. I can say thank you because I got my opportunity and you've made the most of it in my life. And we say thank you. Here's the second thing that's a little unfair is God favors people. God favors people. In my first draft of this message, I had God isn't fair. But it needs a little explanation. God isn't fair when it comes to our idea of fairness, but God is always just. So I had to change a little bit and just say God favors, God favors people. Jesus talked about the world's idea of fairness and God's idea of justice in, in a parable. It's a parable of a, 
of a man who owned land. Jesus would tell these stories. They're stories he made up. They didn't really happen. He just creates these stories to teach us principles about the kingdom of God. And there was a man who owned land and he would hire day workers. So you own some land, you needed somebody to work. You didn't employ them. You would just go grab them for the day. And the story Jesus told that he hired some at 9 a.m. He hired some a little later in the day. He hired some a little later in the day. And then he went out at 5 p.m. and hired some more workers right at the end of the day. And it was the quitting time was 6 p.m. So these guys got on at 5 5 o'clock and worked the last hour of the day. So the story goes, Matthew chapter 20, verses 8. I'm going to read this whole thing to you, 8 through 16. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. So they were at one hour, they got paid for the whole day. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been, and here it is, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Those that worked at 9 a.m. got paid the same as those that worked at 5 p.m. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's a large principle here. The overarching principle here is it doesn't matter if you've been in church 30 years or you just got saved 30 seconds ago. We've all been given the same eternal life. And it doesn't matter how long you've been here. You don't have to work to earn your salvation. You don't have to work to earn eternal life. You don't have to work to earn it. But I want you to notice that it, it offended their sense of fairness. And I want to tell you, if I was one of the 9 a.m. guys, I would have been right there with them angry that these jokers came and were the last hour and got paid the same as me because whether I'm right or wrong I have a strong sense of right and wrong it doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong I just always know what's right or wrong you know what I'm saying and but God said it's my money I can distribute it how I please like this these are my giftings these are my opportunities these are my things that I can do with what I want to and what he teaches us is God favors people now what God promises is this that I am no respecter of persons that I will not discriminate against who I put my favor on so what is equal is everybody gets the opportunity to receive the favor and the blessing of God that when life isn't fair and we're talking about all the things that shouldn't have happened some of us need to realize that we also have the favor of God and we've received things that we didn't deserve to receive and we've been blessed with things that we didn't we didn't earn and it wasn't something that we did and I'm so thankful that we don't just serve the God of 9 a.m. I'm so thankful that we serve the God of 5 p.m. who gives you things that you didn't earn and you didn't deserve and you weren't worthy of it but just the kindness of God said I'll open that door I'll bless you I'll pour it out because he's no respecter of persons he's just but he favors people he can bless people he can put his favor on their life and here's the third thing that I want to give you today is I don't have to bear the weight of blame what do we do 
with all of the wrong. The, the wrong that, that I've done, we, we tend in our human nature to focus on the wrong that others have done and kind of overlook our own. But what, what do we do with the wrong that's, that I've done and what do we do with the wrong that has been done to me? Where, where, does, where does the blame, how can I affix the blame? In Leviticus chapter 16, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole portion of scripture. It just tells us the, the ceremony of the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, the high priest would bring two goats to the door of the, of the tabernacle. And it's a little confusing because there was two goats, but the two goats were one sacrifice because there were two parts to the sacrifice. And... One will be obvious, and that is the, the first goat would be offered up as an offering to God. He would, that goat would give his life and be a sacrifice. The other goat, the high priest would bring to the door of the tabernacle. And the Bible says he would lay his hands on the head of the goat and would confess the sins of the people. It's a little weird, you know, high priest is whispering all the junk everybody's done to the goat. That goat is like, you guys are messed up, man. <laughs> but he lays his hands on the head of the goat and confesses the sins of the people. Everybody that had sinned against God, he laid his hands and confessed those sins over the head of the goat. Everybody that had hurt each other. Everybody that had wounded somebody. He put, he put those sins on the head of the goat. And then there was a man who was assigned to take that goat and lead him out from the tabernacle. Take him outside of the camp and release that goat into a designated place and send that goat out into the wilderness. And God said, I just want you to know that when that goat goes, that I'm taking your sins from you. I'm, I'm removing your sins from you. That goat is carrying your sins. And it's called the scapegoat. And about 1,500 years later, Jesus would stand before a Sanhedrin would receive the condemnation of an entire nation, of an entire world. They would put a crown of thorns on his head. The high priest would oversee this. They would put a crown of thorns on his head and then they would lay a cross on his back the cross was the sign of the curse of sin. Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree, the Bible says. And this is important. Jesus wasn't crucified in the city of Jerusalem. His, his, his trial and his scourging happened in the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus was led outside of the gates of the city, out to a place called Golgotha, where he bled and died where he carried the sins of the entire world. 
and all of the things that you and I have done and all of the things that have happened to us and where, where does the blame go and, and who can we blame for every negative thing that's ever happened in the world. God in his, in his human form said, you know what? Everything that you've done, everybody that somebody's done to you, you can put it on my head and you can put it on my back and I'll carry it away from you. I'll take it away from you. And that's why Isaiah, Isaiah said this, he said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have turned away, everyone to his own way. And the Lord, watch this, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Where does it go? Jesus said, you can put it on me. I'll take the blame. I'll take, I'll take the, I'll take the shame. I'll take the guilt. I'll take the remorse. And I will be, I will be your victim in exchange. I will be your victim, but you can have my victory. You can be victorious. And, and it seems completely... Like you want to talk about unfair. It is unfair that the only spotless lamb, the only one who had no spot would be the one that was the sacrifice. That the only one who was made perfect, the only one who was perfect would be the one that would take the punishment. It's unfair that the only one that never knew any sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And today we have victory because Jesus became our scapegoat. He was our victim. Come on, so we can have victory. Would you stand on your feet and give God some praise in the room? Would you stand on your feet? Let's praise God. I think somebody just needs to say thank you. I think somebody just needs to say thank you. Come on. Come on, say thank you. Say thank you. Thank you. For all you do, and Lord, we thank you. We just thank you. through the absolute worst of life it's not easy to hear it's not easy to, it's not easy to take ownership of things that you didn't even ask for things that just happened to you but I'm so thankful today that we serve a God that said when life is unfair I will I'll be your scapegoat I'll be your victim you can put it on me But I want, to, I want to say something, I want you to hear me. Before we ever see the cross as something done for us, we have to see the cross as something done by us. 
that it was our sin, it was our shame that put him there. And when I know that the cross was done by me, then I can realize, come on, in humility, the cross was for me. Jesus paid the price for me. Jesus, Jesus did the work. Jesus did the work. Here's our victory. It's not to go and accomplish something. It's to receive what's already been accomplished. And I, I, somebody could cook you a meal, but they can't make you eat it. Somebody could pour you a glass of water, but they can't, they can't make you drink it. Somebody could come and write a, write a check to pay off the mortgage on your home, but they can't make you cash the check. And here's the deal. Jesus has gone as far as he can go to bring us grace and hope and salvation. Now it's our job to receive it, what he's done. He, he's already cooked the meal. He's already poured the water. He's already written the check for your salvation, for your freedom, for your grace. My goodness. Today, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to receive. That's, that's the work of Christianity. The work of Christianity is to receive what Christ has done today, I don't know if you've ever had a moment, whether you're watching at home or you're in this room, I don't know if you've ever had a moment to receive Christ, to realize it, not pointing, I'm looking to Jesus. Jesus has dealt with our sin. Here's the question, have we dealt with our sin? Today we deal with our sin by receiving the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I want to give an opportunity, everybody online, everybody in this room, a genuine opportunity to deal with your life and receive. Come on, receive grace, receive salvation, receive forgiveness. And it comes through a prayer, a prayer of faith and repentance. Maybe you're in this room and you've walked away. Listen, nobody in this room cares why. All we want is we want you to come home today. We want you to come back and receive. As I want to tell you, the same, gra same grace that found you the first time is the same grace that's about to find you this time. And I'm going to pray a prayer. It's simple, really, really simple. A prayer of repentance and a prayer of faith. And my prayer today is that you receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. All across this room, online, everybody say this prayer. We're going to say it out loud. We're going to say it from our hearts. Everybody say it somebody's saying it today to receive what Jesus did 2,000 years ago come on let's say, let's say this prayer Lord Jesus come into my heart come into my life forgive me of my past wash away my sin today I receive you as my leader and my Lord and I'll never be the same in Jesus name and everybody said amen can we say thank you Jesus All right, I believe this is a moment for somebody to declare that my sins are dealt with, they are washed away, that today I have received what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. I'm gonna count to three. When I get to three, online, I want you to type Jesus in the comments in this room if you just prayed that prayer with me, whether it was the first time or whether it was a coming home moment. When I get to three, I just want you to raise your hand and we wanna honor you, we wanna celebrate you. Listen, we wanna join the party that's already going on in heaven because of that 
simple prayer. Is it that easy? Absolutely, it's that easy. Well, I just got here. Well, guess what? You are in equal standing with everybody that got here at 9 a.m. You are a part of the family of God right now right now come on you ready on the count of three if that was you one two on three lift your hand lift your hand today's my day today i receive i receive i receive all across the room lift it up lift it up if you're receiving it receiving christ come on let's say welcome to the family of god today Hey, thank you for joining us, and a special thank you to those of you who give so faithfully and generously to this church. It's because of people like you that podcasts like this are possible, and you can click the link in the description to give now, or you can visit mycoastlifechurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you subscribed, share it with your friends. So thank you for listening, and God bless you.